This is the Bridge Church Podcast, an audio ministry of the Bridge Church, a Nazarene community in Oahu, Hawaii. Please visit us in person or check us out online at bridgenaz.org. We hope to hear from you. We hope to see you. God bless. Mahalo. begin with a written prayer and uh, this comes from the pen or the keyboard of a guy named Cameron Bellum. I read this last week and uh, thought that I was just so fitting for our time so uh, pray together with me. This morning Lord may we who are merely inconvenienced remember those whose lives are at stake. May we who have no risk factors Remember those most vulnerable. May we who have the luxury of working from home, remember those who must choose between preserving their health or making their rent. May we who have the flexibility to care for our children when the schools close, remember those who have no options. May we who have to cancel our trips, remember those who have no place to go. May we who are losing our margin money, In the tumult of the economic market, remember those who have no margin at all. May we who settle in for a quarantine at home, remember those who have no home. And during this time when we can't physically wrap our arms around each other, let us find ways yet to be the loving embrace of God to our neighbors. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all God's people said, Amen. All right, so I want to just bring a little levity, lighten the mood for just a moment. So um, let's have a little laugh. I'd like to start with the joke. I was wondering uh, if you all have heard the one about the wife who wanted to go shopping. And I, I don't know if I'll get any laughs from this crew here, but hopefully you'll laugh at home. So, so there's this wife who's heading out to go shopping, and as she's about to pull the door shut, her husband said, Honey! You know, we're, we're tight on funds, so it'd be great if you didn't buy any expensive dresses today. And she replied, well, what if I find one that I really like, dear? And he said, well, maybe I'll just say, get behind me, Satan, and the temptation will go away. Well, several hours went by, and she was out shopping, and not surprisingly, she came home with a brand new dress. This one was very expensive, maybe the most expensive dress that she had ever purchased. And when he saw it, her husband, knowing the finances, knowing the financial situation, he got upset and he said, honey, didn't we talk about this? I thought you weren't going to buy any expensive dresses. Well, I couldn't help it, the woman said. I I saw this dress and I wanted to try it on, so I did. And when I looked in the mirror, wow, it was so beautiful that I I just had to have it. And then I remembered What you said, dear. So I yelled out, get behind me, Satan, hoping the temptation would go away. And at this point, her her husband was confused. He said, okay, well, why'd you buy this expensive dress then? And she said, well, when I yelled, get behind me, Satan, he actually did. And he said, looks good from behind too, sweetie. (laughs) I got one laugh here out of that. So, um, all right. So I have to admit uh, that this 
doing this uh, live streaming like this. Um, it's a first for me. I've actually I've taught a lot of classes online, and, and I've seen my sermons uploaded online, but I've never preached live on like online like this. And so, you know, these are interesting times that we're living in. And I'm sure they'll go down in history. We're in the middle of a historic moment right now. The kind of stuff that we're going to find in history books um, in the ages to come. And so, as, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, you know, this COVID-19 thing, it was first identified on December 31st of 2019. So not that long ago. And just in a matter of a couple of weeks, it's made its way around the entire globe. And if we, we think back to just a month uh, earlier than that, or even a couple weeks earlier than that, none of this right was on our radars. None of it. Uh, it was, in a sense, just unimaginable. We couldn't even imagine it. And it seemed as though our country at that time, a few weeks before December 31st, was consumed with politics, at least in uh, the adult realm, right? Um, the impeachment trials, they were drawing to a close, and we were entering a new election year and social media was abuzz with politics, and it seemed uh, to be ruling the day. And I, I watched as Democrats and Republicans, they were going after one another online, calling each other's names, taunting each other. They're simply being unkind uh, to one another. And politics was at the forefront, as usual, uh, not merely exposing division, but also creating division. Uh, people... People were content with being angry at each other a few weeks before all. They were, they were content with being divided. They were content with demonizing one another. And it wasn't difficult to find circumstances where people were bringing out the worst in one another. And in some ways, you know, many of us had already grown tired of all the, the politics as we stepped foot into the new year uh, in, in the run-up to the 2020 election. But crises, crises have an almost magical way of bringing people together, of bridging divides. Crises have an odd way of bringing people together. In a context where people were constantly arguing, we now find them in some ways uniting. And in the world of rhetoric and debate, uh, we might say that people have come into stasis, all right? So that's our word of the week. Uh, if, if you have the study guide we emailed out or you're taking notes, your stasis is the word of the week, S-T-A-S-I-S, -S, stasis. Uh, in a nutshell, stasis is when people are on the same page, okay? It's the opposite of being out of stasis, that is, being on different pages or talking past one another. Uh, in a very short amount of time, people have come together, and instead of going after one another, they're looking out for one another. Instead of going after one another, they have each other's backs. And of course, that's not the case for everyone. We, we've already seen the reports of hoarding and fights in the grocery stores and in the supermarkets and the like over toilet paper and uh, other things. But But people, by and large are coming together. And what's really interesting to me is not that we're really, we're not really uniting around COVID-19. We're not. Uh, and we're not really uniting around a virus. That's, that's not what we're uniting around. Today, it's fear that unites us. 
right? And, and again, it's, it's, it's not the virus primarily that we fear, though we, we should have a healthy fear of it, but it's the unknown that we fear. A few months ago, right, we thought that we, we knew what was ahead. We, we thought we knew what 2020, at least in part, was going to hold. And we, we thought we had the future on lock. But we're reminded today that as we sit before our computer screens or our phone screens, rather than next to each other in person, we, we don't have the future unlocked. We didn't see this coming. Uh, our tomorrows won't necessarily play out like we had imagined. And so we're here now and we're imagining how we might engage in life and in ministry together at a distance. None of us saw this coming, but we're reminded, right, that even if we've closed the doors at Radford on Sunday mornings, we, we are the church, and we're alive and well, and we as the church have not been canceled. And this week I've talked with uh, many of you, I've talked with our church board and our staff, and I've reached out uh, to many of you, our church board and staff have reached out to many of you, so everybody checking on one another, which has been such a great thing. I've seen church folk uh, expressing their willingness to help those in need, right, to share what they have with each other. And in many ways, what I'm witnessing reminds me of 9-11. People are coming together in the midst of a crisis and people are looking at what unites them rather than what divides them. And it's often in times of crisis and disaster that the church gets a glimpse, a good glimpse of its best self. Because in the darkness, we can shine bright. And in the midst of hurt and in the midst of worry, we can unite for good with one another. And our focal passage for this morning, Revelation 4, 1 to 11, picking up in our series on Revelation, speaks about these things. And so I want to read the text to you. It's kind of mysterious and enigmatic, but here's what it says. After these things I looked, and behold, a door had been opened in the sky. We talked about that door a few weeks ago. And the first voice that I heard speaking with me was as a trumpet saying, come up here, and I'll show you that which must occur after these things. Straight away, after I was in the Spirit, behold, both a throne was there in the sky, and sitting upon the throne was also the one sitting like a vision of jasper and ruby stone, and a rainbow encircled the throne like a vision of emerald. And encircling the throne were 24 thrones, and upon the 24 thrones were 24 elders sitting in white garments, and upon their heads were gold crowns. And out of the throne came lightnings and sounds and thunders, and seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which were the seven spirits of God. And before the throne it was as a glassy sea like crystal. And in the middle of the throne, and encircling the throne, the four living creatures were full of eyes, front and back. And the first living creature was like a lion, and the second living creature like a calf, and the third living creature having a face as a person, and the fourth living creature like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, one by one, each of them had six wings, encircling, and within they were full of eyes. And they didn't have to rest day and night singing, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, the one who was and who is and who is coming. 
And whenever the living creatures gave glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting upon the throne, to the one living into the ages of the ages, the 24 elders fell down before the one sitting upon the throne and bowed to the one living into the ages of ages and threw their crowns before him or before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power because you created everything and on account of your desire, they were and were created. And as I tend to say, after reading a set of verses, right, there's a lot there. But there are two things that I want to draw your attention to. Um, first, I want us to get a handle on the identity of the, the four living creatures. Okay, This is really central to this chapter and to the rest of Revelation. Um, they're mentioned in verse 6, these four living creatures. Now, there's a lot of discussion among scholars about this and about their identity. But here's what I want to suggest to you. Context gives us a few clues about their identity. And this means then that we have to understand some other things in context, like who the 24 elders are. Revelation actually tells us later that the 24 elders consist of two groups, the 12 apostles and the 12 tribes of Israel. And they're, they're actually those 12 tribes are explicitly mentioned a, a few chapters later. Now, this is important. Among those 12 tribes of Israel, there were what we call in the world of scholarship, the four standards of Israel. Um, they, they were sort of like four quadrants. And this was how they would sometimes encamp. Uh, but each of these standards or quadrants would have a quarter of the 12 tribes in them. And so we, we can read about these in the Old Testament. Even more, each of these four standards or groups uh, they were represented in the ancient world, in the scripture, by an image or by an icon or by a symbol. And so those images, they actually carry over into Revelation. So we have this image of one group or one quadrant quadrant representing a lion, another quadrant representing calf, another representing a person, and another representing an eagle. Or so these four standards, these these four groupings of the 12 tribes of Israel that have an image or a symbol attached to them. Now, something, something amazing happens here. And it goes quite under most of our radars. These four standards or these four groups, they get redefined in Revelation. And what, what John does is he says that these four groups, he now redescribes them as from every one, right, people, two tribe, three nation, and four tongue. Right? So those four standards of the 12 tribes of Israel, they're redefined in Revelation, and now these four standards represent people from, uh, or groups from every people, tribe, nation, and tongue. And so Revelation is going to later tell us that these four groups, they come from the four corners of the earth, or the four corners of the land, and so the image, here's what I want you to grasp a hold, a hold of. This image of these four living creatures, these, this, uh, this group of four from the four corners of the land, it's truly a global group. All right. So it's a global group. It's a picture, an amazing, amazingly beautiful picture of ethnic diversity multiculturalism, uh, if you will, at its best. It's an image of the church 
at its best. Um, it's, it's an image of Christ's bride at her best. This, this unity from all these various people, tribe, nation, tongues in Christ, they're brought together from the four corners of the land to unite in Christ. It's an image of life with God at the center, with Christ at the center. And it's the culmination of what should already be starting now. Follow me on It's the culmination of what should already be starting now. And so in the midst of a situation like COVID-19, uh, yes, many, many are united around the, the fear of the unknown. But those who constitute the bride of Christ stand united around and in the bridegroom. They, they stand united around Christ who gave himself for them. It's, it's a truly ama amazing picture. And I want to suggest to you that in this world, there are many people that you can unite with, many things that you can unite around, many causes that you can unite around. But the greatest of these is uniting with Christ's bride around Christ. The greatest of these is uniting in Christ and around Christ. And, and that brings me to the second thing that I want to point out. Again, something that, that can easily fly under our radars here, namely the location of the Holy Spirit in the throne room. Now you got to remember that when it talks about the seven spirits of God, right? That's just talking about the Holy Spirit, right? So if you, you go back and you're looking at those passages what you, what you notice is that the God the Father and God the Son, they're sort of front and center, and they're both sitting on thrones. And, and the 24 elders are also up front on thrones. And then you have the rest of the faithful bride, and the text tells us, tells us that they're circling the thrones. And here's what's so incredible about this. The Holy Spirit isn't on a throne. God the Holy Spirit isn't on a throne. The text tells us that the Holy Spirit is circling the thrones. And so the question is how? And you probably know the answer. He is encircling the thrones inside those whom he has indwelt, inside those in whom he lives, inside those in whom he has taken up residence. And the next question is why? And, and the, the point is that the Holy Spirit is striving to direct honor and glory and attention to the Father and to the Son. And so I spoke about this a few months ago when we were going through the sermon series on the Articles of Faith about the self-effacing character of the Holy Spirit. That is, that, that's one of his main traits, if not his main trait, right? To be self-effacing. That is, he's present. He's absolutely present, but he's not the center of attention. And he's never desired to be the center of attention. He desired to direct attention to the Father and to the Son. He's present, but directing our atten attention to God the Father and God the Son. So to be in the Spirit and to walk in the Spirit, to live in the Spirit, is to live in such a way that we too are living lives that by way of the Holy Spirit point to the Father and point to the Son. And this is where I say that in these uncharted times that we're living in, that's precisely how we need to live. Right? There, there are a lot of ways, friends, to please God during this pandemic. A lot of ways. Let's continue looking after one another. That, that's one of the ways. Let's help those who are in need. 
let's quarantine ourselves to protect ourselves and to protect others if we need to. Let's continue meeting faithfully online if we need to. Let's continue giving and supporting this ministry at the bridge. Let's continue studying. Let's continue studying together. Let's continue dreaming about our outreach to Foster Village. Let's continue coming up with creative ways to talk, creative ways to meet and to be the bride together. Let's share with our neighbors. Let's share with our neighbors. If you're in the grocery store and you have something and somebody needs it, share, right? Let's donate. Let's encourage. Let's be kind. I got to admit this week, uh, I was a little unkind. I was a little stressed by this. I stepped out of who I was in Christ to be somebody in something less. Um, I was a little unkind. But I want to be kind. I want to encourage you to be kind. Let's let's shun ethnocentrism. Let's shun racism. We're hearing about uh, attacks on people from China. People from China getting uh, beat up over all this. Uh, let's shun that kind of attitude. Uh, let's recognize right the global identity of God's people. The diverse identity of God's people, the multi-ethnic identity of God's people. Right? This picture painted in Revelation 4 is a beautiful scene of diverse, multi-ethnic group worship from self-effacing believers. And so the reality is that this may be our new normal uh, for several months. I don't know. Uh, the government is tightening restrictions daily. And honestly, I think it's kind of a good thing. Um, so let's, another thing, let's not make light of this. Right? Let's not make light of it. Let's not act like we're somehow on par with the underground church either. That's a very high form of arrogance. We're not. This isn't even close uh, to being on par with the underground church. Not even close. Likewise, let's, let's be wise and not resort to fear-mongering. Let's not resort to talking about end of the world or end-time scenarios. Let me remind you, right, that nobody knows the day or hour of Jesus' return. Nobody, right? Even including Jesus, right? So if you're walking around acting like you know that it's close, right, then you're walking around acting like you know more than Jesus. Don't do it. Just don't do it, right? So let's also not act uh, as if God created this virus because he didn't. Let's not act like God created all this horrible stuff that goes along with it. But the reality is, is that God didn't create this. God didn't cause this. Uh, we, I'm, I'm hearing all these wacko preachers lately, right, saying things like when Hurricane Katrina happened and 9-11 happened, the wacko preachers come out of the wood, woodworks and start to blame this on us, uh, our nation having sinners in it. Don't go there, right? Um, and people are saying, God is in control. God is in control. Well, well, good. God is in control, but that doesn't mean he's controlling this. And so when I hear during this time people saying God is in control, that's what I'm hearing a lot of times, that, that God is the cause, the source, the creator of this. He's not. He's not, right? Um, I want to suggest this to you, that Jesus, right? He is God. Scripture tells us that. But Scripture also tells us that as God, Jesus is the perfect representation of God the Father. And so if we want to know what God the Father is like, then we look to Jesus. And if we look at Jesus' life, right, we don't see him going around creating diseases. We don't see him going around uh, creating pandemics. We, we don't see that. 
Right? So let's look at Jesus to see what God the Father is like. Like God is not doing this. He's not the cause of this. Jesus instead is confronting all of this. And, and, and that's what we need to hold on to. Um, here, here's the real truth I want to suggest to you, that, that God isn't the source of all this, but he's present with us in the midst of all this. And so he, he's present in his people and, and desires for us via the spirit who lives in us to do the kinds of things that he did when he was here walking. His, his desire for healing, right? We, we should be yearning and for that and desiring that as well. Um, the desire to cultivate goodness, beauty, and truth. And so God desires for those things to come through us in times like this. He desires for the gospel to be preached and shared through us in times like this. And we need to see, right, that in times this time that we're in, we, we, we need to see it through missional eyes. Put on our missional lenses and see all this through that because we can take this unfortunate circumstance and bring goodness, truth, and beauty out of it, right? Through the spirit who lives in us by bringing goodness, truth, and beauty into it. And so as I come to a close here, I want to encourage you uh, to not let this unglue you, to not let this unglue us. Um, we, we have a choice, right? A choice to, to be Christ to folks, or we can turn ourselves against others. Um, and we're all confronted with that choice. We can be in step with the spirit who lives in us, or we can get nasty and unkind. I was saying earlier this week, I got a little unkind, right? Um, and, and I regret that. I've repented of that. Um, and, and I hope that we'll all continue to be kind. But there's a sense in which we all have this sort of Jekyll Hyde uh, identity to us, uh, this uh, dualistic aspect to us. We have a side that, that rests in the Holy Spirit, but we also have a side where sometimes the claws come out. And I was reading... Uh, this week that, you know, that, that comes out, especially in times of distress. The, the claws come out in times of distress. Um, I, I was reading on Facebook last night, somebody was saying, you know, if the ports close down during all this quarantining, everybody better get their riot gear ready, right? So obviously an exaggeration, but people are really concerned about this and the claws can come out and people can turn very easily. But I was reading about Oscar Schindler um, of uh, Schindler's List, and I was reading a story recently, and it reminded me of this dualistic aspect. Um, Schindler, Oscar Schindler, was a businessman during the Holocaust, and he found that he could save the lives of a lot of Jews by bringing them into his factory and having them make ammunition and other metal wares. And he's credited, actually, with saving over 1,200 Jewish lives uh, during the Holocaust, just by doing this, he even built uh, areas, camps for them to, to live in and to sleep in. It, it's an amazing story of this member of the Nazi party who saved many lives. But Schindler, he had another side to him as well. This dualism, right? This dualistic side. He often engaged in illicit living and perhaps worst of all, 
when he was leaving Germany for Israel, a bunch of Jews who had worked for him, whose lives he's credited with having saved, they took out their gold teeth and they, they donated them. They, they gave them to one of the metal workers. And then that metal worker took this collection of their gold teeth, pulled from their mouths and melted them into a gold ring. Right. And, and they, as Schindler was leaving, they honored him with this gold ring. They, they, they gave it to him. It was part of, it was a way of giving part of themselves to him. It was this grand, beautiful gesture. And uh, as I was reading this, I, I couldn't imagine someone doing that kind of act for me, but not much later. Um, he was asked by someone, you know, Mr. Schindler, what happened to your gold ring? And he replied, I sold it to buy some schnapps. I sold it to buy some alcohol, some liquor. And it was this incredibly just low gesture. And it exemplifies the duality that lives in us. And we can be for people, but we can turn on people. We, we typically want to be good neighbors, but under the right circumstances, in times of distress, in times of crisis, we're often willing to turn on our neighbors to protect ourselves. We can we can turn on others and fight them for toilet paper and sanitary wipes and diapers. We can allow ourselves to be overrun by fear to the degree that we seemingly lose or jeopardize our humanity and others' humanity. And so here's where I want to remind us that when the darkness tries to creep in and when the darkness intensifies, it's all the more opportunity for our lights in our lives to shine brighter. So let's not step out of who we are in Christ to be someone less. In the season of uncertainty about the future, let's remember what the future looks like from Revelation 4, gathered around Christ's throne. Let's continue striving to grow together spiritually. And as the bridge, the bridge church of the Nazarene, let's continue to prepare for serving Foster Village. Let's continue to look after our communities and one another and even ourselves. And that'll give us, that'll give others a picture and a taste of what's to come. So let's give them that, that picture of a diverse, self-effacing, faithful, and united bride who's truly united around Christ. Let's give them a picture of our heart's cry the cry from Revelation, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Amen? Amen. Now, if you would, we're going to do a benediction. Uh, turn your palms upright and receive this benediction. And now, may you live boldly in the truth that as one who has sworn their allegiance to Christ, the Spirit lives in you. And as a result... May you walk in step with the Spirit. And may your life point toward the Father and the Son, who are worthy of all glory, honor, and power into the ages of ages. Amen. Go in peace, brothers and sisters.